Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. And welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Chris, before we get to the substance, how are you? Well, we're recording a day late this week, and so we I'm sorry to our huge throng of incredibly devoted fans out there for for just we were just mobbed with uh, <laughs> inquiries this morning about I, why we had getting out of the back of the Uber. Out. You know, the paparazzi was out there. Where was Ink Stained Wretches uh, originally? So I am sorry about that, but I am thrilled about the fact that it is fall. In Washington, D.C., autumnal splendor. Pumpkins have been carved. I will share on my Instagram page this year's pumpkins. Looking good, feeling good. I am not at a pumpkin carving stage yet. Did you, you ever? You absent kids. Yeah, I did, did it when I was a kid. When you were a kid, that was yeah. a part of the tradition. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I, I'm going to say this with real love for people who do it, because Halloween is like atheists' Easter People get really excited about Halloween, and they Not do a me. lot of Halloweening. And I find it, I'm sure, as as off-putting and weird as they do about our excitement around Easter. I understand it. But Washington, D.C., and I live on Capitol Hill, their, their Halloween is extra. It is a lot of Halloween. I have to say, I'm also not a huge fan of Halloween, but... I was looking at baby costumes. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Like more fan of Easter than of Halloween. But I was Which has better candy. Because Easter. I, I think I For agree. sure. Those I Cadbury love... eggs that are really Oh, like... that is disgusting. Oh that no, those are so candy. good. Oh my mom loves those. I like the Easter candy better because it's fruit candy because there's Oh, jelly beans. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So good. Candy beans. Um but you were saying you were and looking peeps. at peeps. Uh, who doesn't love a peep? Well, you got to let them sit out and get stale. You have to open the package and let them form a crust because if they're too soft, it's no good. All right. So you, if your daughter were here now. Oh, well, so I was going to say, I went down the rabbit hole. I'm not a fan of Halloween. I especially don't understand adults dressing up and stuff like that. But um, I was Googling baby costumes oh. and went totally down the rabbit hole. We should link some of these hilarious ones in our show notes. There's like a jazzercise one, which is like a sweatband and little leggings and like baby weights. You know, um, um, And there was an adorable Jackie O one that was like a tweed skirt suit and sunglasses. You know uh, Blair Latoff Holmes? Yes. Uh, Hi, Blair. Hi, Blair. Josh. Her, well, we'll see. If they have us on their podcast, maybe. But the their son in a bumblebee costume for Halloween posted on Instagram this year. It's one of the greatest things. I love Halloween as a silly thing for kids to dress up silly and be goofy, but creepy, freaky, blood and gore, sexy zombie uh, brain, Look at this, man. hunger. Look at this Jackie costume. <laughs> that it's is the little hat. That is the most DC thing that you could possibly do is to dress your infant daughter up as Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Well, she's probably going to be this which is the exercise baby. We're going to link this in our show notes. Um, it's freaking hilarious, and they have the cutest Asian baby modeling it. Oh, my gosh. All right, let me put this in the show notes right now. <laughs> you can see that as we get closer yeah. to the due date that uh, you, your your focus is shifting. And by the way— Check out this awesome baby. 
Halloween costume. You can email us at, is it wretches? At, wretches. At nebulouspodcasts.com. Uh-huh. If you have any suggestions for who you'd like to hear as maybe a guest fill-in host, uh, co-host with me while Eliana takes her maternity leave in the after the first of the year, if you have any suggestions, you can definitely send us uh, your ideas there. We'd love to hear them. All right, Chris, it's time for the front page. Let's, let's do it. This is a really good one. Tucker Carlson. Yes. At the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, out with a head-turning trailer for a forthcoming Fox Nation special about, well, we don't quite, it wasn't quite clear to me what it's about, but let's, part let, of it. Let's take a look. Oh, let's, yes, top. yeah, yeah. The helicopters have left Afghanistan, and now they've landed here at home. And the left is hunting the right, sticking them in Guantanamo Bay for American citizens, leaving them there to rot. We are dealing with an insurgency in the United States. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland. I've been told that I'm a white nationalist. Me. FBI, They've begun to fight a new enemy in a new war on terror. Not al-Qaeda, white supremacy. False flags have happened in this country. One of which may have been January 6th. Okay, so it may, the January 6th may have been a false flag operation. Unclear if that's the climax of the special or if that's just like one of the notes it's going it, it, to it, along it, the way. It is in keeping with the theme that he has about white supremacy as a overstated, as a panic and the unfairness of this, but is building it out here in a, in a very dramatic way. And of course, the most significant thing that he's doing is, and we would remember that Tucker throughout the coverage of the January uh, 6th riot in the aftermath has been more pro-rioter than almost anybody. Like he has taken a more sympathetic view of these folks who said they look like a bunch of tourists and that maybe it was really he uh, just asking questions around whether it was really Trump supporters who were doing it and then being critical of the FBI and then coming after the Capitol Police for not identifying the person who shot the woman who was trying to break into the chamber. So he's been in. Well, I'm with him on that. He's been in this space for a while, but that Fox is doing a is was January 6th, a false flag is crossing a line that that enters into a new space. And the the reaction from some quarters was very predictable. Right. We heard from Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, who were the Republicans on the January 6th committee, that they they denounced this. We heard from Geraldo Rivera. Hi, Geraldo, who came right down Tucker's smokestack on this for saying this was not the stuff to be doing. This will this will have ripple effects. And it is a very strong indication of who runs Fox News now because it sounds like it's Tucker Carlson. My bounce on this was less, you know, outrage at the content. But I do think that there's a dynamic at Fox that's akin to what we see in these spats between the far left and the center left uh, when the far left folks demand an apology or a cancellation. And really, like, that is about power and who has more power in the movement. And to me, this stuff at Fox between, you know, the center-right, sane, respectable people and, like, the, the crazies is also about power. And to me, this is a demonstration on on Tucker's part, the part of his staff, that, like, we we run this place. Exactly. We don't—there's no executive who can come down and tell us that we're not going to air this 
and this is our network, and it is, it's a real departure from the Roger Ailes era. Who, or just good, or good management. It's also a department, it's a departure from good management. Yeah, I mean, this is like weak. I read this about someone yesterday, I can't remember who it was now, where they said he had the spine of an eclair. <laughs> <laughs> that's I can't big. remember who that was about, but, you know, that's Fox management. And, well, uh, I, would, I would point to, relatedly, Neil Cavuto encouraged people to get vaccinated. Neil, who has MS and is, you know, not he's not a ultra marathoner and so he got sick with coronavirus and did have a breakthrough infection and pointed out he said to his audience thank god i was vaccinated because it meant that the symptoms were very mild and this was okay for a person who is immunocompromised over 50 and a couple extra lbs this is uh, this was uh, this was his point and then lisa booth a fox contributor came after him on Twitter. This is like what they do at the New York Times. Right? Totally. This is like... Well, it's a good... Exa- it's it's a good demonstra- demonstration yeah. of, like, these dynamics playing out yeah. on both sides of the aisle. This is Felicia Sanmez level, uh, like, airing your dirty laundry in public and going after your colleague. And then Janice Dean, who also suffers with multiple sclerosis, came after Lisa and in defense of... an in defense of Neil. Can we link this Twitter... I, am I going to be called sexist if I call it a cat fight? I'm not going Deep to say fight. that. I'm not going to say that. But the it's just you can't you cannot run a business where individual actors are free to endanger everybody else's reputation by doing Looney Tune uh, false flag stuff. You can't run a good operation where the people are openly fighting with each other. Roger Ailes. Who's and the great management guru Roger Ailes well, did not run an operation like we've, this. We've, I'm kidding, but he didn't. Really. We've talked about it before. Yes, I mean, uh, sex criminal is probably too is probably the correct <laughs> word, but a, a real doer of evil on those fronts. But certainly would have shot these people into the to the burning center of the hydrogen furnace of the sun for doing this stuff and in, endangering the brand and doing all that. This is this is for the same reason that I'm on. I breathe down the necks of. Free Beacon reporters about their Twitter feeds, yeah, because it is unfortunately whether they whether they can see it or not, you know the stuff they say there and their comportment on there is a reflection on the brand. But I think we're in an era where people say, "I want to get famous, damn the institution," and that they don't matter. But but you know, as a conservative, I believe in institutions. Save us, you've all live in. Save yes. us, you've all live in. Next up, this this can be brief, but I have been struck that. We now know from documents uh, that have come out that the National Institute of Health was uh, is, funding. Is this the um, Rand Paul? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. This 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 gain of function research. Gain of function research. I my, I'm actually not my obsession with this isn't that you know Fauci lied or whatever, but I'm surprised that there hasn't been more media coverage of the fact that yes, in fact, the National Institute of Health. Contrary to what many people there and affiliated with them said was funding gain of function research, not necessarily, oh, Fauci's a liar, which it appears he, you know, he was very clever in his answers and he, you know, he was fundamentally dishonest. Yes, exactly. I'm surprised. And I wonder if it's like, is it embarrassing for them to admit this after they said, like, the lab leak theory was racist? But 
Because normally when the U.S. government, I don't think it's the U.S. government's fault that this happened or anything. No. But like normally when the government is like tangentially, you know, funds X or Y or Z yeah. that comes to a really bad outcome. The media loves that. It's like we funded this group in Afghanistan. And now Witness, the terrorists I was going to say and, witness uh, Saddam Hussein in the Iran. Yeah, Iraq totally. War. Like yeah. there's a lot of talk about. It was us. The bad judgment in the U.S. that's you know political well, judgments that. You're not really surprised at the lack of coverage, though. That's not. I'm. I'm not, not really. really surprised. You know that the sainted Fauci, that the the blessed Anthony Fauci, the the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the left is not going. No one is going. The to, new Ruth Bader. That's he is, good. He's adorable, old, and nice, and seen and we as have to protect him. And must as much Katie like Katie Couric did. Say. Must must protect him. <laughs> and you know, it's funny you talk about this. Have you ever heard uh, the expression about to eat like a cowboy? No. So a cowboy only has one dish when he goes up to and he can have beans and then he could have chili or he could have cornbread or he could have whatever cookies going up and he can only eat one thing at a time because he's only got one dish. And the unfortunate truth in American news today, Fauci has gotten covered. The, the story about gain of function research has been covered, but only mostly on right sources, whereas there are lots of stories about things like Tucker Carlson's false flag coverage or whatever else it is that is only going to get coverage on left media. So on the, the sad truth, dear listeners, is that if you want a balanced diet, you're going to have to do one thing at a time. You're going to have to go go over here to get some news from the right. You're going to have to go to the left. You're going to have to look for these places in different places because the coverage is so siloed. Up next, I was amused by the Wall Street Journal's decision to run a letter from former President Donald Trump about the turns out he won Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, about the quote unquote stolen election. I was even more amused by the like moral panic in the rest of the media about it. This this editorial page decision to run the letter. I just find there is this attitude, and you see it in the coverage of Facebook, which I know we're going to get to. There's this attitude in the mainstream that. The American people, we must protect them from false information. They cannot be exposed to it. They cannot see this stuff as if, it, you know, people can't see something that's BS and make a judgment that it's BS. Yeah, I don't think that was a I don't think that was a cool move for the if I, well, I'll put it this way. I'm sure Paul Jago and the uh, editorial board of The Wall Street Journal thought about this and were, were serious about what this is. I would not have given him that platform to make baseless accusations, uh, even if he is the former president or maybe especially because he's the former president. And if I would have done it, I would have I would have I would have rebutted it. I just I feel like Donald Trump doesn't have a problem getting heard. He can go have a rally. He can do whatever. And he, they, they should have just said to the folks at The New York Post, this may be better for you. You guys maybe will like this better. We're not going to put it on The Wall Street Journal editorial page because they've been actually quite good. On this subject over yeah, this time. Yeah, that's why I don't have a problem with it at all, because the journal editorial page has been, I think, accurate and has held the line on no, they've been adult. what happened yeah. in the election. So I just don't have so many concerns about the American people being exposed to. I'm not concerned about the American people, or nor do I think. But that, that is the way that it's covered. It's like they're spreading misinformation. Yeah. This is going to reach more people. As a journalistic judgment, like you may have made a different judgment, but but how? But the idea that there are people who pay what's a Wall Street Journal subscription cost a year? 
I don't know because I don't pay for mine. It's a lot. I I keep, corporate subscription. I keep one, and it's hundreds of dollars. You know, you pay hundreds of dollars a year for a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. I am not concerned about people who are subscribers to the Wall Street Journal reading Donald Trump's absolute hot garbage and saying, I don't know, maybe he is the president. Maybe he did win Pennsylvania, but I I still don't think I would have run it because it it doesn't it's not worthy of being run. What do we got next? Oh, the Facebook papers. Oh, my gosh. All right. I'm oh, my gosh. I'm going to let sound off on this. I just, I don't, here, here's the thing. Talking about your point on trusting Americans to make their own choices and believe what they believe and, and do this, we're treating Facebook now like it's heroin being pushed <laughs> Out of dark alley. I've been watching Dope Sick about the oxy epidemic. And yeah. yes, it is exactly like that. And the treatment of the Facebook papers and the way that this has all been branded. Can you imagine that Mark Zuckerberg prioritized profits, profits over, over safety? Yeah. I'm like, safety? Well, yeah, see, because speech is violence, too. And we've got to be worried about this. Well, they also act like, you know, teenage girls never had body issues until there was Instagram. You know, I was a teenage girl in what, what, the year, two, you know, 1998, 1999, 2000. I can represent for the millennial teenage girls who had body issues, okay? And there was no Facebook. Well, I, Instagram, that's I, what they're blaming, but. I, when people say that we need to control Americans' choices, I don't like it. I think that's a bad thing. And if we are incompetent enough as a people to no longer uh, be able to tell that a big, multinational company is trying to make money off of you and that you can't understand what they want. Just as I understand that the Washington Post, which has had, again, the worst coverage of this by far, and always seemingly oblivious to the fact that their owner is a competitor of Facebook and that they are a competitor of Facebook. Now, I know there's their owner, Amazon, yeah, founder, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, yep. and the that this is the Washington Post is a competitor to Facebook, but Jeff Bezos and the rest of his corporate empire includes things that are competitors to Facebook, too. This is like the obesity epidemic. This is like a lot of other things. Americans make bad choices. Uh, they post dumb stuff on Facebook. They do all those things. But that's you have to give these people agency. They're not just victims in this. You have to say that Americans are capable of making good choices. We still let people vote, right? We, we think that American citizens have enough agency and intellect to choose our leaders every two years, to choose a president with the power to destroy all life on earth. But we don't think that parents are capable of saying to their children, shut up your Facebook account and stop doing what you're doing. Stop looking at Instagram. We don't think that people are able to discern that corporations have interest outside of the health and well-being of the individual. I know McDonald's doesn't care about my BMI, really. They just care about sending, selling me more Big Macs. That's okay, because I want them. But I, I, it's up to me to know what the consequences are, and that's why I hated the movie Supersize Me. That's why I hate all of this stuff which takes away agency from people and pretends like corporations are interested in something other than profit. At least with profit, we know what they're doing. Let's not let's not gunk it up. All right. Up next, we got newsbusters on media outlets, quote unquote, hiding coverage of the Virginia gubernatorial race reported or they, they say because the latest polls, particularly one from Fox News that shows Yunkin up eight, uh, have Yunkin ahead. 
Well, right. That one has Youngkin up eight, and the Washington Post poll, which is done with the Shar School, has what's call- the Shar School? That's the George Mason's, I oh, think. Got it. I, it's but it's at a you know, it's a, a government school. Maybe it's UVA. I don't know. Whatever. George Mason. Thank you, Samantha Goldstein. But the so the post poll is in keeping with other polling that's out there that shows the race basically tied, and the Fox is the is. When I say the outlier, I don't mean that the poll is necessarily an outlier. It might be predictive, but it's out of the rest of the main. And I should say, as I say that, I should say that the Fox's uh, great polling team and my friends, Darren Shaw and Chris Anderson, do a really good poll. So that this is it, 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 may, it may or may not be predictive, but it uh, is correctly conducted. Well, so what's your bounce on the Newsbusters? Well, I think the Newsbusters is a, a, a silly billy thing. We here talk about who's covering this more or less, whereas well, just as I talked about the eating like a cowboy, we talk about what outlets are covering this or that. The idea that this race is not getting enough attention is pretty preposterous. I agree with that. I think it's been covered a ton. My my counterintuitive take was, well, we now have polls showing Yunkin far ahead like that's probably the kiss of death for Yunkin. Well, re- here's the thing. Republicans are really hard to poll. We can we. Uh, no, or we can guess that McAuliffe's number is probably pretty close. Democrats are easier to poll. Is it possible that there is a red wave underneath in Virginia? Yes, the race has certainly changed and shifted. One of the things that people get wrong in politics coverage, and this is a big frustration for me. So when you and I first started talking about this race months ago, I said, Youngkin probably, uh, he's the best nominee, but he probably won't win because of the following factors. But the race changes and how people run change. Like, I guess my- Olive, I think, has, this has, like, been political malpractice on his part. It's not been good. It's not been good, and he has not done the necessary thing, which is to say, and Terry McAuliffe, by the way, is caught between two very difficult spots. The message that he needs to give to affluent suburbanites in Northern Virginia, who are more persuadable, is at odds with the message that he feels like he needs to mobilize African-American right. and poor, the uh, the traditional Democratic coalition to get those voters out ver- versus getting the folks out in Northern Virginia. Well, he's ended up mobilizing the right. Yes. Well, and and also Yunkin, I want to give Yunkin a lot of credit here. As 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 difficult a time as McAuliffe has given himself, Glenn Yunkin has been a very impressive candidate. He's been disciplined. He especially for a first-time candidate, he's stayed on message. The messages that they've chosen spoke on two different frequencies, right? They're, when they talk about schools, on the one hand they're talking about what what he's saying out of one side of his mouth is we're going to pay teachers more we're going to invest more in education we care about education on the other hand it highlights things like the incident at the Loudoun County High School it highlights critical race theory so it is the, the term dog whistle is too derogatory for what i mean but it is speaking on two frequencies this is um I mentioned this the, the other day. Charles Krauthammer used to talk about his great gift for being able to talk at two languages at once. So for affluent, educated people, they could hear this one message, but there was another message underneath that people who were not as erudite as him could still comprehend. And I think Youngkin ran a very good campaign in that way, in the way he chose his issues, and the way he talked about them. I think I was more bullish on Youngkin all along. Chris is has been... 
skeptical on McAuliffe. Or skeptical on... Skeptical on Youngkin. So next week, we are going... We will know the results, presumably, pending litigation in the courts. Right. And that will be fun to discuss. Well, it's a, to- it's a toss-up, and this is this is. And by the way, speaking of Fox News, this will be the first time the Fox News decision desk will have convened since the January primary in Georgia, and all that stuff. So, Godspeed, Arnon and company, have fun. All right, I, I was struck by the fact that the New York Post reports that Nora O'Donnell is on the chopping block at CBS News. She's the host of uh, the CBS Evening News, and. Like nobody's and talking why? about this in media, and nobody cares. The ratings are, yeah, the ratings are down. And I thought it was really, I mean, struck me because I remember the days when the Today Show fired Ann Curry and Katie Couric didn't make it at the CBS Evening News. Yeah, yeah. These were huge stories, and it did strike me that just nobody's talking about this. Nobody cares, and I think it is a testament to the declining influence of like the major network broadcasts. Well, and if if CBS is at a point where they're going to throw her over after a relatively, sh- I mean, how long has she been in that gig? I don't know. But it doesn't feel like an eter- it's not an eternity anyway. Um, they built a new, an expensive new studio for her, so I think that there's frustration that the ratings are not what they should be. Nobody um, is watching. They moved news. it to DC from New York. Yep. The broadcast. I remember that? Yeah. And I, I would just say, the evening news is dead. Right? It's just dead. My children's, our children's generation will never imagine that the way that. Millions of Americans were got their main information feed was from 22 minutes of total runtime from a talking head in a box on TV at a set time. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's not it's not a useful it's not a useful thing anymore. That's not to say that CBS News won't be useful or that da 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 da. But appointment viewing for the evening news is come on, no way. Up next, I agree. No one cares about the evening news. Casey Hunt of CNN sent a tweet that <laughs> caught my eye yesterday over the Democratic bickering on the reconciliation bill and what's in and what's out. So Casey Hunt, who has was a longtime NBC and msnbc uh now at CNN Plus, she Wait, tweets, she's not at MS anymore? She left. She got a huge... CNN Plus is like hiring everyone. They're, they're throwing a lot of money at people. Huh. Good for her. I think the, her pay package was reportedly seven figures and NBC declined to match that. Dang, yeah. on. Yeah. ACNN uh, hey, Plus, call me. Yes, we're available. <laughs> uh, okay, she tweets, if paid leave is left out of this bill, I'm going to spend the midterms covering how suburban women who turned on the GOP over Trump are responding to Democratic governing in D.C., especially after the pandemic. Kind of sounds like a threat. Uh, yes, and, <laughs> and you, you could read it. There's one way. And it's like, uh, are you confused as to where Casey Hunt stands on this issue? Right, you could read it as, this is the this will be the consequence and i want to tell everybody right now the the post hoc reasoning that is applied to the outcomes of elections uh is usually dominated by motivated reasoning if you are very progressive you will say that if the democrats lose seats it is because the reconciliation package was not big enough or didn't have that in it if you are a moderate you will say that the it was too big that they spent too much and all that reverse engineering will go in I think the idea that there are, what did she say, suburban moms? The idea that there's a big constituency yes. of suburban moms out there for whom this will be, the, the failure to include this package will be determinative for them is, is unlikely. 
And the paid leave, it's for dads too, right? This is like if you have a sick relative Ask or- Ask Buttigieg. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, it's if you have a sick relative or it extends beyond parent stuff. I have, I have enjoyed watching how wrong so much of the coverage on this was all along. So you're watching and Bernie Sanders is like six trillion and Joe Manchin says 1.5 trillion. I'm like, well, I think I know where this is going because Joe Manchin's chances to get reelected if he chooses reelection re in 2024 would go actually up if he if he if he killed the whole thing, right? If he if he killed the whole thing, it probably would be helpful to him politically in West Virginia, the Trumpiest state in the union. And Bernie Sanders, the idea that somehow the progressives were really going to walk on this and let the whole thing go down, and maybe after we record this, they will, and this will be. But the 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 mystif the the mystification of Joe Manchin and and how why did why does what does Kristen Cinema want? What is Joe Manchin doing? What are these people doing? It's like yeah, have you ever want to get reelected? And also maybe they're more moderate than you. Right. Maybe they're more moderate than you are. Maybe they have a genuine disagreement with you. And I know I t complained about this last week, but the, the, the mystified coverage around this stuff as if there was a broad national consensus on this bill is hogwash. I'm with you. Harumph. With I'm that. Harumphy today. With that, it is time for our obsessions of the week. These were the stories that we couldn't get out of our heads. Chris, you're up first. Well, the uh, New York Magazine uh, did a piece on Matt Taibbi. So some some context on Taibbi. link it in the show notes. Some context on Taibbi is he used to be the Goldman Sachs trashing sort of, I don't know, I, 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 I don't think a socialist, but a economic populist who definitely came with Big Bernie energy to go after as 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 one of the best things that I ever wrote or I ever read about what's wrong with the finance industry and how it hurts people his coverage of how Goldman got small small municipalities uh into bonds that they could not afford for wastewater treatment plants and stuff like that that left them screwed for years and years to come and made people poor and miserable was really good and that was sort of his thing he was a clearly a man of the left and he was also clearly had a flaming scimitar that he was swinging at big banks, fat cats, Wall Street, da 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 da. The headline of the New York Mag piece is what happened to him. And hearing your description, it would seem to me that nothing happened to him. Well, what the same person? Well, his his area of interest changed, and he has followed a path uh, not dissimilar to Glenn Greenwald. Now, Glenn Greenwald is a very different person because he helped the Russians harm the United States. He has been he he has he has hurt national security. What Glenn Greenwald did uh, with uh, what's his name, Edward Snowden and all of that stuff and, and his support for the awful man, Julian Assange and all of that stuff. Glenn Greenwald was already sort of in a weird space to begin with, but both Greenwald and Taibbi have marched to the populist right away from the populist left. And the way to way to think about this for me is Well, I think a lot of it is they've turned their attention to the media. Well, yeah. But the the populism of the left is usually economic and the populism of the right is usually cultural. Economic populism of the left is about economic insecurity and anxiety. Economic populism of the right is about cultural insecurity and anxiety. And Taibi has really 
gone and he with a very lucrative substack that the the article says may make him more than a million dollars a year that that he has really become a crusader against wokeism in journalism and all of that stuff so he is he has gone from a bernie sanders figure to a tucker carlsonian outrage at elites and the things better than tucker well sure well yes i well of course but i just meant I, i just meant He's better than Bernie Sanders too, but I just mean the, those. Yes, those yes. are the, he switched lanes. Now he says he hasn't switched lanes. It's just that that's where the interest is. And I want to give New York Magazine credit. They did a thoughtful piece, and it wasn't uh, a hit job, and it wasn't a one-sided thing. It it dealt with him as a complex person. I still admire a lot of Tybee's work, but it is clear there is more. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going. I I think the profit motive is perfectly good, and there's probably more business to be done on a substack on issues of cultural outrage than it is to keep talking about. And by the way, nobody's obliged to talk about one thing their whole career, but there's probably more action where he's writing now than there uh, than there is talking about what's wrong with the economy. Well, I guess I'm proof of concept because I wasn't like a big Matt Taibbi reader in the in the early era. Yeah, the Rolling the Stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am now a reader and subscriber of Matt Ta- and a fan of Matt Taibbi. So he's good, and he and he uh, is very thorough in in his work, and he's a, he's an interesting person. And kudos to them for writing an interesting. Well, piece. case in point, I wanted to talk a little bit. One of his substacks this week, he just lambasted the media's coverage of the Facebook papers, calling it the Facebook moral panic. Yeah, and he concludes. With the following, uh, he says, commercial news outlets, not Facebook, have been the chief architects of the panic era. Word. They've spent six years now coaching Trump-era audiences to act like roulette addicts, endlessly trying to win back a loss, begging them to stay at the table and just move their chips from one existential threat or apocalypse to the next. So true. Touche. Chef's kiss. Mwah. That is yes. excellent. Very, very well said. And the, uh, uh, to nicely circle back to what we were talking about with Facebook, these are the competitors. These are not the, the, the these things are not happening in a vacuum. And and I would add to what he said there. Also, the per, F- Facebook is the focus of so much media content for allowing disinformation to flourish. So much disinformation flourishes on these commercial news outlets, whether it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, whatever. They've all been fonts of disinformation, and they're no. They're, they're certainly no better than Facebook uh, when it comes to that. No, and we should treat them for what they are, which is businesses. Yes. And that's okay. My obsession is, it's a little bit in the weeds, but I've found it really interesting. It's something that we've covered at The Beacon, but there's, it's not really a new advertising model, but it's a lucrative advertising model that more and more media outlets are adopting, which these digital outlets are, essentially putting journalists in corporate ads. So what you used to have was you watch Meet the Press, and we still have, you watch Meet the Press and there's a commercial break and you get ads. Or you read the Politico Playbook newsletter and there are ads embedded in there and you know what's an ad and what's not. Right. The new thing is to have an event business where a company will pay you to do an event and then who the journalist the in this case, I mean, we picked on Axios. Lots of people do it, but the Axios journalist will host the event and interview the company spokesman about whatever it is. These are not hard hitting interviews, and then a no, lawmaker. Or back Philadelphia cream cheese, and yeah, let's just spread it. Exactly, totally. And then a lawmaker who has company business like this before 
him and has some influence over regulations that affect these companies. And I do think this is like media outlets using their reporters to, you know, parrot for ad for their for their advertising. Well, uh, is Axios, kind of gross. Axios has certainly been a malefactor of this stuff and the the access journalism that Mike Allen has 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 been the king of. This started back at the Washington Post. And the controversy, I, re- I remember when it happened. Yeah, there was a piece in the Post about it. Lally Weymouth, when she took over as a publisher of the Post for her great aunt, her grandmother, whatever. Uh, important. She's the daughter of Catherine Graham. Her daughter. Okay. But one of the ways that they were going to try to right the sinking ship was by selling these salons in which they would use the Post's prestige to invite a lawmaker to a place that then you could pay to be in the room with that lawmaker. And maybe it would occur that while you were there, you would say, please give Boeing the contract for XYZ. Please do this. So they called them salons and they were clear influence influence peddling things. And people were so stunned, and this is 15 years ago or so, people were so stunned that they would be so shameless about it. And what's funny is now it's just normal. People just normal. now do it. And the the, the ethical quandary of this is somehow ignored. It's 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 not a good practice. And, it- and the difference between the salons and these events, which have been put out on Zoom, are these events, the way they're presented, it does say sponsored by so-and-so, but they have the veneer of a news product. And I, I think people, we have to, again, trust people to- Talk about misinformation. Yeah, we have to trust people to make their own decisions and that they can figure out that this news- I mean, low- the content's boring as hell. Right, so. this this news, uh, news-like product, news, you know, there's turkey breast and turkey loaf. This is new. This is news loaf, news like product, as I call it. And I assume that if you're if if your job requires you to watch something that boring, you know, God God help you. Uh, may the angels be with you. Part of it, I think, is to get the Google search result, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And and also to show access, 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 access. We're inside. We're inside. And there's a lot of competition now for that in D.C. The Dispatch doesn't do that way but there's punch bowl and the dispatch and a lot of a lot of outlets that are looking to cater to a high-end audience of educated wealthy folks who want to pay for a subscription and those folks do like to see the crackle of access they like to they like to know that you're, they you're want in there to hear from the tesla ceo about evs chris Doesn't. it is now time for our favorite items of the week where is Chris's favorite because I have to say something nice. Uh, that was very easy this week. But Chris, after you. Well, I don't want to be so self-promotional after just criticizing Axios. But here, here goes. I just wanted to thank Mo, my friends, Mo Alethe, Kristen Soltis-Anderson, and Robert Hurt, who this week at AEI came together for a journalistically crackling good conversation about the Virginia gubernatorial election. See, Newsbusters were paying attention to the Virginia gubernatorial election, but they did such a good job. And Kristen and Mo, I had missed getting to do stuff with them since being colleagues when we were all at Fox. And it was great to do. And it just made my heart happy. All right. That was boring. (laughs) Um, So my favorite is the New York Times piece that the headline is the 37-year-old's are afraid of the 23-year-olds who work for them. And the subhead is 20-somethings rolling their eyes at the habits of their elders is a longstanding trend, but many employers said there's a new boldness in the way Gen Z dictates taste. And we are linking it in the show notes. You should read it. But 
it's hilarious because it is about these Gen Zers, and it's funny. I am 37 years old, and Nebulous podcast associate producer Alex Nestor, assistant assistant to the 23 years old, and you know we chit chat a lot. I found it funny because we are these, of course, these, these exact ages. But it talks about how these Gen Zers, no offense to Alex, who's never done any of these things, they will call in and say, I have period cramps. I'm not going to work. Whoa. Or Whoa. I just, I won't be in today because I need to take a day for my mental health. I, and wait, there's one quote. Talk that about I, proof of concept. My reaction to that is proof of concept of why it's effective. The, the, I die times, under the nearest desk. Well, the Times writes about something that a corporate, some some company did something called the Suffy Awards and says sitting around a campfire and sharing personal sources of suffering from the pla- from the last year, trying to one up one another as corny award show music played in the background. It was the Gen Zers getting the most vulnerable by speaking about partners cheating on them or the loneliness of a solo quarantine. They celebrate human emotion instead of having an outdated framework of what corporate should be. So, you know, if you don't want to talk about your partner who cheated on you with your superiors and subordinates, um, I guess you are not celebrating human emotion. The company is called, oh, this is funny. It's a meditation, Ziva Meditation. So, okay. Shouldn't be surprised, I suppose. (laughs) Mindfulness. But there's lots and lots of examples. I love the article because I, okay, so I think it's a great article because, of course, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like a real confidence among the Gen Zers that actually they are correct. And it is us, the millennials, who need to be instructed in what's offensive, you know, what's professional conduct and what isn't. Of course, we don't deal with any of this, the Washington Free Beacon. But I did find in this article, my only beef with it, uh, because I think it's an accurate portrayal of the dynamics, is. There wasn't any, like, pushback from somebody saying, no, we don't, like, let the 23-year-olds run the show at our company because, you know, that's not how things go. I assume that's not how things go at the American Enterprise Institute. It's not how things go at the Free Beacon. I mean, it's just it's just wild around here. It just gets crazy. You never know. Your, your reign at the Free Beacon reminds me of one of my favorite jokes about workplace culture. So the Roman galley slaves are rowing on the ship. Oh, oh, they're out there taking the trireme across the sea. And the captain comes down, he says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is an extra ration of grog for everyone. Hooray, this is fantastic. And he goes, now the bad news is that the emperor wants to go water skiing. I don't get it. You're going to have to row very quickly. Oh, oh. (laughs) Very quickly. Okay, I get it. The good news, Alex, is the extra grog portions, but Eliana wants to go water skiing. (laughs) I, that, that's really good. Um, good way to end this on this rainy October day. That is the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com or a good baby Halloween costume. That is wretches. Or a, or a suggestion for a fill-in guest while Eliana is on maternity leave. At nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.